So glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clark.com slash ask is where you post a question. Also, you can ask your question nine hours every weekday. We do that for free. It's a service of the Clark Howard Show for the last quarter century, where you can talk with a member of our team for free on the homepage of Clark.com. You'll see how to do that. If you are looking at Clark.com on your smartphone, you can just hit a button and dial in right then and there to be able to get free off-the-air advice. Coming up in 20 minutes, desperation can lead you to do things that can really harm you. I want to talk about a loan that I want you to run away from instead of running to. And a half hour from now, I want to talk about basic privacy. We all say we want privacy, but then we do things that open us up to all kinds of problems. I want to talk about steps you should be taking in order to protect your privacy. I want to talk right now about something I am ecstatic that Apple is doing. With the new update, to the operating system for iPhones, Apple is shutting you down cold from being able to text while you drive, basically do anything on your phone while you drive. You probably know that there's been a massive increase in fatalities on the road after year after year after year of fatality rates declining on the roads as Cars, trucks, SUVs, and the roads themselves have become far safer. We've been on a steady downtick year after year after year with the decline in fatalities. And then that reversed and reversed hard. And it was tragic last year. The stats on how many people died on the road went through the roof. And not because of additional miles traveled. The only reasonable explanation is because we're looking at our phones instead of looking at the road. So Apple isn't giving you a choice. When you download the new operating system for iPhones, 11 is what's coming out, it will automatically put into effect, do not disturb while driving is what Apple's calling it. I like it. They're not doing anything pithy. They're calling it what it is. And you can do a workaround if you insist on trying to put yourself and others in harm's way. You can fool it by making you think you're a passenger in your vehicle instead of the driver. But why would you do that? Why would you do that? You know, my phone, if I'm ever tempted to look at it, I throw it in the back seat. So it's out of my reach because there's like a human reflex we have where it chirps or vibrates or whatever, and we're naturally drawn to pick it up. And so I just pick mine out of my pocket and throw it in the back. Come up with something that'll work for you because you don't want to be dead and you don't want somebody else to be dead because you just had to look at that text from somebody. Don't do it. Hey, and by the way, Android... Where are you? You let Apple beat you to this? What are you thinking, Google? 
Vivian joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Vivian. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. I'm doing just fine. Um, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Just, I'm in the market for a new car, and I would like your advice as to how to deal with a car dealer. When I walk into a showroom to test a car, um, they've got, you know, the pricing, the negotiating, the accessory package. The, yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, and then, you know, I do some work online and try to um, see what's out there. And, um, and, but at some point in time, I do have to actually drive the car to see how it feels. Sure. So go uh, do a test drive. But what I suggest you do is when you finish the test drive, say, gosh, I really thought I'd like this car. But I don't. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I wasted your time. Don't oh, really? feign any interest in that model or vehicle at all. Okay. Because if you say that, they got nowhere to go at that point. Yeah. And so then you can skedaddle from the dealership. And I'm saying that when you do love a car after you test drive it. Yeah. And then buy it online. It's How so do easy I buy it now. online? Well, let's talk that through. Let's first talk about what memberships you may have. Sam's Club, Costco Wholesale, USAA, any of those in your yes. life? Which yes. one? Uh, Costco and USAA. Oh, that's a perfect combination. Because USAA has a car buying program, mm -hmm. and Costco has a car buying program, but they each design theirs different. Mm -hmm. So... It takes all the pressure out of the car buying. You go sign into your USAA member bill uh, dashboard. Mm -hmm. And one of the things under services is buying a new car. And you mm -hmm. click on that. And in just a couple of minutes, you will know what you can buy that car for. You choose what option packages you want or don't want without any pressure from any salesperson. You build the car the way you want it, and then it will give you, takes about 10 or 12 seconds, it will generate three offers for you from what they call certified dealers for that vehicle. And okay. you're done. No negotiation. It's done. Oh, so they, they, they offer you three the prices and then they give you the names of three certified dealers that can honor those prices no they give you the price that three different dealers will sell it to you for that's, oh, that's the price and then uh the way costco does it and you can do this at costco.com or there's a brochure right where they check your receipt to make sure you're not stealing anything when you leave costco mm -hmm. they have an auto brochure you can see who is their costco dealer for the brand of vehicle you want, and there's an already negotiated price that when you call, and they will play no games with you, no dirty dealing, no pressure, nothing. Because Costco, believe it or not, Costco is now apparently the number one seller of cars in the United States. I didn't know that. So the Costco membership base is a more affluent membership base and dealers cannot do any funny business 
that would ruin their ability to be the Costco official dealer in an area. Mm-hmm. And so if you try what I like for you to do, since you've got the USAA, and by the way, thank you for your service to our country that you're USAA, but you um, get the USAA prices, you get the Costco price, and whichever is better, that's what you go do, and that's where you buy the vehicle. And since you're USAA, you're going to need a car loan or not? And uh, actually, um, my husband is the USAA, so I can, you know, he... Well, thank him for his service. I'll, I'll thank him. And are you going to do a car loan for this vehicle? Um, I'm, I'm not sure. All right. Well, if you decide that's what you want to do, prearrange that at USAA. You know, they've got those fantastic rates for members, and you'll be good to go. I promise you do those steps with Costco and USAA. It will be the easiest car buying you have ever done, ever. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Daryl is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Daryl, congratulations. You're about to have a child? Yes, I'm freaking out. <laughs> no, no, be excited. Is this I your first excited. kid? What's that? Is this your first kid? Yeah, it's my first. Yeah, it's a little unnerving. When the first baby comes along. <laughs> When's your baby going to arrive? Uh, next month. Boy or girl, do you know yet? Uh, a little girl, and I have not picked a name out, and it's probably the biggest decision of my and my wife's life is pick another name for this little girl. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what we did with our son. We couldn't agree on a name for him. Yeah. And we had two that we were interested in, and so we took one and made it his first name, the other made it his middle name, <laughs> and let people, let the marketplace kind of decide. Yeah, let them decide. And yeah. it emerged what his name ended up being that way. Yeah, and I just can't, I can't find anything that I can't think of a kid to make fun of these days. <laughs> uh, don't worry about that. You you name that bundle of joy, whatever you want to name her, and anybody else can go soak their head. <laughs> Man, I'm also nervous about being on your show. Oh, don't be nervous about that. We're just (laughs) hanging out here. So how can I be of service with this child coming along? Well, here's the thing. Um, My wife and I, I mean, we we, we pay our bills. We have, you know, we have good credit. We've got some money saved up in the bank, but we're going to be here soon uh, relying on just my income alone. And we're going to, child care is so expensive. We're going to try just her be a stay-at-home mom because we don't really have any family close to help take care of the, the baby. Um, but us combined, we have probably, i say, close to $20,000 in credit card debt between her and my debt. I think she has roughly around seven or eight, and I have probably 10 or 12. Um, and it's not all just out joy spending. A lot of it, you know, is un, un, uh, unexpected expenses. We bought a house a year ago, so, you know, stuff went to, you know, stuff on the credit card for the house. Um, I guess... The, the credit card bills are stressing me out. We make all of our payments. We're not behind on anything. No one's calling us. But just the thought of it being there, it stresses me out, especially knowing that we're going to come up with just my income alone. And I was, uh, as I put on my email on your show, I have probably about 39, I have 39000 Well, actually, since I sent the email, it jumped to forty something, uh, 41000 in a 401K with a previous company I worked for. And I guess my question was, it's tempting to withdraw from that, eat the penalties, and I know it's going to cut it down to probably... Are probably close to 
from forty-one thousand down to probably about twenty-nine, thirty thousand. Then maybe more year. like twenty-five because you have to pay a ten percent federal penalty right yeah, off the top. So, so use that, wipe out the credit card debt. I exactly. don't advise that. That's a last resort, not an immediate. The stress okay. you feel, let go of that. Just give yourself some breathing space. You know, you got a lot of change coming in your life. You got yeah. this baby coming. You're going to go from two incomes to one. You feel like, uh-oh, the whole wallet thing is closing in on you. Yeah. And you just... You can't make that automatic assumption. There's plenty of time later if you just hit the wall on the debt to do that. Mm-hmm. But my experience is in a situation like yours, if you just liquidate that old 401k and pay off the debt, is that within 18 months, you'll have the debt back where it was. Really? Because what you need is you need some time to adjust lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that you don't deficit spend. Yeah. And so you need the discipline of having that debt there is almost like forcing you to think about everything you do spend. Okay. And again, down the road, maybe it's a different answer, but definitely not now with the lifestyle change about to happen. Okay. Give us some time. And you'll find that with the baby... Uh, your lifestyle is going to change. You know, t- going out to eat <laughs> might not be happening as much. Going out in the town's not going to happen. Yeah. And your spending in some ways will go up, but in others will actually go down. Yeah. And by the way, you'll know you've made tr- the transition to fatherhood when you're talking about diapers. <laughs> Just get ready for that. I'm not even going to say poopy diapers. I'll let somebody else say that. Today's Clark Rageous moment concerns a slimy, terrible practice that works like locusts spreading across the land, making people that are desperate financially in even worse shape. It's called payday loans, and I've got new info for you about why you should never, ever take out one of these sleazoid loans. Scams. Rip-offs. Outrages. It's a clark Regis moment. So payday loans vary in interest rates, typically around 400%, although sometimes they can be as high as 800%. I don't know anybody who gets up in the morning and says, yippee, I'm going to go borrow money at 400% interest. But it's worse than even that interest rate. New data that was dug up by David Lazarus, the consumer writer for the Los Angeles Times, finds that of people who take out one of these horrendous loans, nearly three out of four, once they've taken out one, take out another, and another, and another. And believe it or not, one in five people take out ten or more in a row. Because these loans, in theory, are designed to borrow money for a very short period of time, usually a couple of weeks. But what happens is after somebody borrows that money and is paid a 400% interest rate, they were already in desperate straits. They can't handle the 400%, so they turn around and borrow another loan and run up even more charges and on and on and on. I know there are people that 
or of a libertarian mind that say, hey, people are doing it to themselves. And I would be fine with that if you went to a payday lender and there was a big sign that said today's interest rate is 532%, or today's interest rate is 744%, or 380%. And if you disclose like that, and people still wanted to take out that trash, well, I guess let them. But the thing right now is it's sleight of hand. The people doing these loans know that if they told people what they'd really be paying, nobody would ever take them out. So you can't have it both ways. You want a free market? Give people the information up front and let them decide. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Glad you've joined us here on The Clark Howard Show where it's about your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. Clarkdeals.com is where you get the savings. Check it out. Check this out. There's a very popular app that is growing like gangbusters on iPhones and Androids called Google Assistant. And what it does is you give Google permission to know pretty much everything going on in your life. And then in turn, Android Assistant does endless reminders for you provides information to you up to the moment in my case i use it and i'm looking right now tells me what events i have coming up i can click a button on each one and it'll drive me to the event it shows me exactly where my car is parked when i parked it there the weather where i am the weather where it knows i'm going the next two trips i'm taking over the next week okay that's weird isn't it has news updates for me about things that, it, and they're very accurate about things I'd be interested in. And it's always there for me with me just asking it something, talking to it, telling it what song I want it to play, telling it what I want it to start playing on my television. It is incredible how brilliant it is. And again, Google Assistant works for iPhones and Androids. But then at the same time, I want you to think about what you're doing. I have made a conscious choice to let Google into my life that much. But do you really want to give that kind of open book in your life? My life's dull. There's no reason I wouldn't want to do that. But then there are other areas of your life where you need to be really, really smart. And that's anything what I would call public-facing. Let's take Facebook. Facebook allows you an enormous amount of control on what information of yours is out there and, you know, with Facebook. And so with Facebook, you're able to control what they refer to as visibility or post visibility or however you want to word it and it's a tool that virtually zero people who use facebook ever do and you know we're in the time of year in the peak summer travel season where a lot of people 
by not controlling their privacy on Facebook are creating disruption in their lives that could be very nasty. You know, like your home being burgled because you've been too public with what you do, you haven't used good privacy settings with Facebook, and criminals come and help themselves feast on your possessions. And you know when Kardashian, Kim Kardashian got robbed in Europe, and it was a terribly traumatic experience for her? The criminals were able to specifically target her and steal allegedly millions of dollars from her because she had been way too public with exactly where she was pretty much every second. But that's a a well-known person. But you in your own life, be aware and be careful. Google the people I just talked about. They have the my account thing. And so with it, you control how stuff is available to Google or to anyone else. And I want you to think it through how much information you want out there. It is your choice. But I just named the two gateways where you potentially put yourself most at risk. Facebook and Google are so dominant that there are other things you can do in your life, other things you can do on your phone. But if you will do those two things, review and assess at Facebook, if you're using Facebook, how your information is shared. And if you'll review thoroughly with Google, with their privacy checkup tool, what you're sharing, what you're doing, it may help you create a level of, it's not going to be a level of privacy, but a level of restrictions that may keep information about you that nosy strangers out there would love to have and you don't want them to. Julia joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Julia. Hi, Clark. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you, and and congratulations to you. You're going to be buying your first home? Yeah, but not for a while. We're just thinking about it, and we're doing some research, and we really don't know where to start. And we're both going to be college graduates, so we have some credit history, but we don't have much. So we're just looking for some advice on where to start and how to do the research and what to look out for. Number one piece of advice I give to any first-time home buyer is to think about how long you're going to plan to stay in the house you buy as your first home. Okay. And coming out of college, sometimes you don't know exactly what city you're going to end up in. Mm-hmm. My absolute firm overriding rule is when you just don't know, never buy a condo. Okay. It is, I would say it's far and away the number one mistake young first-time buyers make is buying a condo, looking at it as like a temporary home. But the problem with condos is the value of them goes up and down like a yo-yo, where even if you take the housing bust, where we had some extreme things happen with housing prices, Mm -hmm. houses don't change in value normally anywhere near as much over time as condos do wildly up and wildly down. So 
I like for you to look at buying a home as something that you would do if you're comfortable that you're going to be in the same area for five years. Mm-hmm. Coming out of school, what are the odds that you might take a job all the way across the country or something like that? Um, not very big because they're playing other opportunities for me and my fiance to work in the area that we live in. So, so you're going to plant roots. Yeah. If you're going to do that, then it's great to buy a home. Were you thinking a home, a town home, or a condo? What were you likely? That's what I was wondering. What are the difference between townhomes and houses? Do you have to pay extra fees for the townhouse? Usually you will, even if a townhome is what's known as fee simple, meaning that you own the, the home and all its exterior walls, you still will normally have to pay some kind of fee to a homeowners association for the townhome community. Mm-hmm. It'll it'll normally be about a third of what the monthly fee would be in a condominium townhome community, where the condominium association then has a lot more responsibility for your actual building that your townhome's in. But, okay. But are do you think it's likely that you and your fiance are going to plan to have children? Not for a while. Okay. We're going to try to. All right. The, the reason I'm asking. I know that's a very personal question to ask, but I was asking because often if somebody buys a townhome as their first place and then uh, kids come along, it's like, oh, we can't stay here. We got to move to a house. It's not going to work for us here. So having a conversation about how you're both feeling about at what point in your lives you'd like to have children affects whether I would say that it's okay to have your first dwelling be a townhome or you're better off going right from the get-go into a traditional home. Okay. There's another thing I want you to look at with a townhome. Do you have the right in the townhome community you're thinking of buying of turning it into a rental property if later that is the best economic decision for you to do when you want to move, or are you prohibited from renting it out? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to buy in a townhome community where you're not allowed to rent your unit out Because with housing cycles, let's say you buy and then three, five, seven years later, whatever, you want to move, and it's not a good time price-wise, I don't want you to be forced into selling at a bad price. Okay, yeah, that that, that makes sense. And have you ever heard me talk about the 100 home rule? No. I want you and your fiancé to look at at least 100 homes. Not necessarily in person, at least online, and not necessarily tying up a real estate agent's time to look at all those hundred. You can go around with your smartphone using the various apps like Zillow and Trulia, and uh, there's another one that I've liked, uh, Redfin. Mm -hmm. Use the apps, and you're able to get a description, interior pictures of a place you're looking at, It gives you the ability as you're driving around to have a feel for a neighborhood, a street, and then get a look-see inside a house virtually and Mm -hmm. start to come up with a list of the places that you'd really like to come back and see based on the neighborhood and how they seem to look and then the price point. Okay. And then I have steps 0 and 0.5. Mm-hmm. that I should have said the very first thing to you, 
I'd like for you and your fiance, when you get close to doing this, I want you to check your credit at annualcreditreport.com. You can see your credit reports for free. Make sure everything's A-OK. And then the other part of that is once you have seen your credit say, okay, I want you to get pre-qualified for a mortgage with a credit union or a mortgage bank or a broker so that you're then in a position when you go out looking for homes to say, hey, look, we're already good for the money for this house. Here's our pre-qualification letter. And you stand out from other people who haven't gotten their economic act together. They haven't shown they've done their homework. Good luck to you. I know I threw a lot of stuff at you. And Julia, I have more about shopping for a first home at Clark.com. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Chris. Hello. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. And I'm so excited to see that you are on your path to being credit card debt free. Yes, I'm trying to be, uh, thanks to some guidance, I guess, from listening to you. Oh, I know. Uh, you get all the credit because <laughs> you're taking the information and you're making it happen in your own life. I'm trying. I'm trying my best, but I still have a question for you, and that's why I was uh, hoping to get a chance to talk to you today. Well, let's hear it. Uh, well, the situation is, is that uh, as I've been paying off my credit card debts, uh, I have a number of store credit cards, uh, not major credit cards, but store credit cards uh, that I've paid off and I have zero balances on them. Uh, my question to you is, is I'm trying to improve my credit rating. And to do that, I was thinking about closing those store cards uh, because when I pulled my credit report the last time, what I was seeing was that I have too much available credit to me and it's hurting my credit score. But then I've always heard, don't close credit cards because that hurts your credit score. So that's why I'm coming to you. All right. So you're, you're bringing up a very valid issue, and that is if you have Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover, you may see something pop up saying you have too many cards, but it doesn't really mean anything. When you see it about store cards, it may potentially mean something because store cards are looked at as trash cards in the credit reporting industry and in the credit granting industry. Store cards are looked at as the very, very inferior poor cousins of a major credit card. So do you not have any major cards? Is all your credit that you have store cards? No, I, I have two major credit cards. Oh, good. All right. So with the store cards, you could experiment and maybe close. Uh, how many total do you have store cards? Uh, I would say anywhere from five to six. You could close two of them. And then give it 60 days and see what happens to your score. You registered at Credit Karma? Yes, I have. So you can track your score and see, does it keep moving up? Or by closing those, are you going to lose any points? Okay. If you close two of them and it's an oops, you see that score move down, then you found out you should ignore that warning about having too many cards and just leave the rest open. Okay. And if right. it and if it raises your score, then it, you've got your answer that you should keep closing those as you pay them off. But the major credit cards 
ignore that anytime you see that warning that you have too many major credit cards because the way credit scoring works it's really important to have those major major cards and the available credit that comes with them and the time in the card is valuable too james joins us hi james how are you today Wonderful, Clark. It is just great to talk to you. Well, I'm glad you're here, and you have a question for me about freezing and thawing. Yes, I'm really good at procrastinating, but I am finally, Clark, ready to freeze my credit, which is uh, long overdue because my wallet 15 years ago was stolen with my Social Security card in it, but I've been blessed that my knowledge I haven't had any identity theft issues. So I understand the freezing process, but as far as thawing, like, the thawing process, I don't understand. Do you, do you want to just thaw for like an hour or for a day, or will they ask you a time frame? How does that work? You hit it exactly right. What happens is when you go on to Equifax's site, TransUnion or Experian, or if you need to thaw all three and you go to each of the three, they each ask the question a little differently. They will give you depending on the credit bureau, they may give you the option of thawing only for a particular company. Like, let's say you were switching to T-Mobile for your cell phone. All right. And you go into a T-Mobile store and they say, we want to run your credit. So you could go on and thaw just for T-Mobile to see it. Or you can thaw for a specific period of time. You can say, you know, I want to do it for a month. I want to do it till such and such a date. And it will stay open and available for any credit grantor to check your credit during that period where you've lifted the, the freeze temporarily. Okay. So it's very, very flexible how you do it. One thing I would not do, though, is the one where you can name a specific organization that you want to give access to. Okay. Because organizations use so many legal entity names you could put in a name and it wouldn't be exact enough for who it is you're providing access to, and then you you get the thing thawed, but they can't access your credit. So I'd rather see you do it for a specific time period. We'll be right back. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address, clark.com slash ask is where you can ask me questions, or you can ask questions off the air. It's free. You can talk with a member of Team Clark. We do that 45 hours a week. If you go to Clark.com on your smartphone, you can see that on our homepage. Click on a button to call now, and if we're available at that time, you'll be able to talk with a member of our team right then and there for free. So something I'm very excited about is that the cost of investing has been going down, down, down. Not for everybody, but for the average investor, new data in from Morningstar shows that the cost of investing dropped more in the last year than it has in a quarter century. Roughly 15% drop in the cost of the average investor's expenses for investing. But that's just an average because there are still people paying terrible commission fees, and paying very high expenses for the investments you're in. So many people say to me, well, you talk about that, but what do I do if this isn't my thing 
I'm confused by it, bored by it, intimidated by it, and I need somebody. Well, there are many choices now, including a brand new launch from TIA, which many teachers, professors, administrators, any, pe- any people involved in education, hospitals, that kind of thing, may well be aware of TIA, an outstanding organization for investing. And they've now joined Schwab and Fidelity and Vanguard, among others, in offering advice, guidance, where you have the ability to talk to a human, you also have the computer technology that helps you build a portfolio, and they do it at ultra, ultra low cost. Tia's new service called Tia Personal Portfolio, you don't have to be a teacher, professor, educator, anybody can use this, is available at extremely low cost where you're able to get expert advice for less than one-third of 1% per year. You add in what you pay for investments with them, and in total, you're still paying less than the new much lower average that people pay for their investments in the United States. You're paying roughly half a percent total, including having the advice, guidance, the expertise, and the human to be able to talk to. This is such a major shift in how investing works in the United States that it's been in the past, you either chose full serve and paid massive fees or we're dealing with somebody even worse who is not a fiduciary, somebody who could stab you in the back while they smiled to your face because they weren't working for you. They pretended to, but they weren't. Or you could be completely a self-serve kind of investor that picks everything on your own like I do. But the reality is a huge number of people benefit from what is a more limited service model, which is what these things are that all the low-cost providers are doing. Investing does not have to be complicated, but if it feels that way to you, you're not in a position where you have to be a sitting duck for high fees or people who might rip you off. At Clark.com, Read what I'm saying about using these services. Look at the choices and see who is best there to serve you. You know, Vanguard is now the second largest financial house in the world. And they've done it because they're a co-op that's only about you. No stockholders, anything like that. But there are others that are doing a great job as well in the low-cost arena, like Tia that I just mentioned, Schwab, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, USAA. There are people that are there doing what they should do to serve you. And remember, it's your retirement. It's your future. It's your goals. Be with somebody who puts those first and at low cost. Deidre's with us. Hi, Deidre. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you. Well, I'm glad you're here. You have a question for me about something that is more and more rare, a pension. Yes. You got one of those things? Well, 
I'm 42 years old. I'm in debt about $5,000. I have an income of $50,000. And I'm in the process of buying my first home. I got a letter from a previous employer that was offering a pension payout of $200,000. My question is... 200000 Yeah. Are you sure that letter is not a mistake? I thought so when I read it. So maybe that, it is. How long did know. you work for that employer? 10 years. 10 years and they're going to pay you $200,000 on a pension and you're 42 years old? Yeah. You never should have left that place. <laughs> Man, that is phenomenally generous. Is it? Yes. Well, um, my question is, my the price of my home that I'm purchasing is $234,000. And I wondered, is it wise to take the payout and pay off the house? Or leave the money either in an IRA or where it is now and just pay my mortgage off monthly as I would. Yeah, pay your mortgage monthly is agreed. This is a good problem to have. You're buying a house in the general neighborhood of a pension that fell out of the sky into your lap. (laughs) That's really something. And as far as whether you're best off leaving the pension with the company where you earned it over those 10 years or you're best off moving it to your own IRA that depends on this factor if you leave it there do you continue to earn an enhanced pension benefit over the years simply by leaving it behind or is the money frozen and will never be more money if it's frozen will never be more money then you definitely want to move it to your own IRA if that's one of the options you're offered. Okay. On the issue of of taking it and spending it, because the tax implications of taking it and spending it towards the purchase of the house, it would be not a good choice financially to do that. You're best off leaving the money sheltered and, you know, at 42, let it grow for you over the years and then have that money to live on later in life, especially because the mortgages you're being offered, the interest rates on them are fantastic. Okay. So Got you. as for the other debt you have, having the $5,000 in pre-existing debt against an income of 50000 that is a perfectly fine ratio. That's 10% of your income at debt. It would be better if you didn't have any personal debt. But that's not a significant amount versus the overall picture. And would a 50-50 split maybe be advisable because it would help me in terms of... You mean take half the pension? Yeah. No, I would leave all the pension alone. Leave all the pension alone. Yeah, leave that be. And I still cannot believe the numbers. That, that, That number, I don't think I've ever heard anybody give me a number like that after 10 years of working for a company. So I I called them up and I asked them how they figured it. And um, they said, well, they would take the amount of years that I would have served and and retired. So I I think it worked out to 20. At 62, I would have retired from them. And the monthly amount was 664 a month. I did the math and and it was around that number. So 
That's what I'm thinking it is. Well, whatever the reason that they've come up with such a generous pension calculation, I take the money and slap it into my IRA and know that that's completely my money because that is a fantastic sum of money. Good for you. Virginia's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Virginia. Hi. It is such an honor to talk to you. Well, it's great to have you here. And you have a daughter who, was she injured in an accident? She was. It was an auto accident. How is she now? She is better now. It's been three and a half years. She still has some scarring on her face from it that we're going to be dealing with when she's ready. But um, she's 12 now. But it was just minor injuries, but it did leave some scarring. I know in a bad situation, the good news is that kids of that age bounce back pretty well from adversity and from hardship. Yeah, yeah, they do. She has. She's she's still a little skittish sometimes when we're in the car, when certain things come up. But for the most part, physically, she's bounced right back. So Great. Well, how can I be of service? Well, the insurance company is offering a settlement to her. And so far, nothing has been finalized yet. They have lawyers looking at it because she's a minor. Um, But so far, they have told us it will be about $28,000. And they want me to have a plan for the money before they actually issue a check. And I would like to have a plan for the money and was thinking of something where I can give it to her maybe when she's um, 18 or 21 or I don't know about 18 for all of it, but maybe like 21 or 25. I'm not even really going to tell her that she has this money. And I figured that one day I would just spring it upon her her when you think she's mature enough to handle it. Right. And just kind of surprise her with it. Like, hey, remember way back when we were in this car accident? well, this is what I did, and and this is what you got. And, you know, I just thought maybe if she wanted to put it down on a house or something like that. But Well, the most common way people handle that is actually with a trust where you're the trustee and you oversee the money for her benefit. Mm -hmm. And usually, and the trusts don't have to be complicated documents, but usually you are in control of the money most often till a child's 27th birthday okay Uh, kids don't mature as quickly or responsibly as they used to and that's why 27 is the most common age that money would be turned over Mm -hmm. although people do what you said where they'll keep an account a secret often having a statement be mailed to a trusted relative's house instead of to your house so she doesn't one day in the mail say hey what's this mail to me and open it up or whatever Um, The other possibility is, in your family, what's the tradition of college? The kids do go to college, and usually there's other accounts set up to do that. And I was kind of trying to avoid using this for college. I was trying to set it aside for something that would be just for her. Well, then in that case, I think you handling it as either uh, her custodian managing the money for her Keeping the account secret is just fine. Uh, Legally, that's not an accurate answer, but in real life, it is. 
And I would, you know, tell her about it later on and just say, hey, we have this money in an account. Not necessarily to keep it secret, you know, until she's 27. But Well, but then the other alternative is you do go to the level of trust, of doing a trust, which costs some money, but then you fully maintain legal control, but you can choose to dispense the money to her liberally as she becomes younger than that as an adult if you feel she's ready to handle it. That kind of thing you actually want to talk to the lawyer about who's representing you in the injury settlement. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. Jeremy joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jeremy. How you doing, Clark? Great, thank you. You are an insurance person. I am. It's great to have you here. Well, I'm brand new as an insurance agent. I've been in the insurance business for about a year now, and I know that you've mentioned a lot of different pitfalls that the insurance business has that can scam people. And I'm curious on what your input is on how I can serve my clients as ethically as possible. And are you selling auto and homeowners? Are you selling life insurance, disability insurance, annuities? Where are you in the business? Mainly property and casualty, which would be your home, auto, condo, but I also do have life and health as well. So with the with the property and casualty insurance, it's easy to do the right thing. I mean, because that is ultimately completely and totally a relationship business that people will stick with you over the years. And I think just staying in touch with your customers, are you an independent agent or are you a captive agent? Captive. So if you're captive, you can't quote competitive with other providers, but you can certainly have a conversation each six months at renewal time with your book of business talking to your clients about what's going on in their lives how you might be able to help them i mean that's what people need they don't think about this stuff and they don't know what you know already after a year and so you asked me how to best serve people i think it's communication and being there to say oh well you know you may need to consider xyz because something in their life life situation has changed, their circumstance has changed. I'm not, you know, sense. I'm already not worried about you, Jeremy, simply by what you're noodling, what you're thinking about, and what you asked me. Gotcha. So as long as in your heart and your head, you're always thinking, how best can I serve this client? You will never have to worry about, did you do the right thing or not? I hear you. It's much easier for you you know, doing property and casualty insurance than it is for somebody who's involved in life insurance. Because there are a lot more ethical dilemmas that come into people's lives every single day that sell on the life and the annuity side because the whole deck is stacked towards products that the higher the commission, the more likely they are to be things that don't serve the client well. You don't have that conflict to worry about so you can feel at peace about it. Thanks for calling and asking. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show, and we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Glad you're with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Clarkdeals.com is where you get the savings, get the bargains from us. Speaking of bargains... Grocery prices, as I've told you over the last year, have been going down, down, down because of new waves of competition in the grocery market. And there's a supermarket that has very low prices, but has very low customer satisfaction. That's Walmart. Walmart is the nation's largest supermarket chain, and their prices are based on independent surveys, typically about 20% lower than traditional mainstream supermarkets. But people report in surveys, including the most recent Consumer Reports ratings on supermarkets, that Walmart has the lowest satisfaction of any supermarket. So Walmart is working on that. But in the meantime, where Walmart sees a real strength is where you order your groceries online at walmart.com and then you drive up to the store, go to a special area, and pick them up. So you don't have the experience that people don't like going into the grocery section. The groceries come to your car. Well, now this is working so well for Walmart that they have developed what's being referred to as the grocery vending machine that is available 24 hours. They're testing it in Oklahoma, and it is a building that looks like about a two-story warehousey kind of thing that's a giant refrigerator-freezer. And if you place an order at where they're testing this in Oklahoma, and of course if it works... It'll be rolled out everywhere. It'll be a next step on curbside pickup. Your groceries, you're given a special barcode that's on your phone that you use to to show the automated system at this bunker, this two-story building, that you're there. And then your groceries, automated, come to your car and... The freezer items are in a freezer inside the bunker. Your refrigerated items in there. And non-perishables also are put together, and they come to you, and you drive off. You have to have a $30 minimum order. There is no charge to keep your groceries fresh, cold, frozen, whatever, when you go to pick them up. The innovation happening in the supermarket business is amazing and the competition intense competition so intense that it's hurting the restaurant business because grocery prices are going down 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 while restaurant costs are going up 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 
Uh, by the way, in that Consumer Reports article, the top-rated supermarket in the country is one that comes at or near the top survey after survey, supermarket chain called Wegmans. Number two in that survey, Market Basket. And you may remember the Market Basket story. There was a supermarket that went through an ownership civil war, and the employees and the customers went on strike till the beloved CEO was reinstated And here they are after that whole civil war. They are still rated as the second best supermarket to shop at in the United States. Joel is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Joel. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure, Joel. How can I be of service to you? I recently purchased checks from my bank. Oh, I felt like they were quite expensive, and also the shipping cost was quite expensive. Yeah, never never order checks from your bank. And so my question is, is there a safe like third-party vendor or website where you can order checks, or is there some software to buy? Yeah, and the, I don't know if you still get a Sunday newspaper, but in every Sunday newspaper there will be coupons for you doing check printing, and they're very, very inexpensive, like no money at all. For you to get checks and also the warehouse clubs sell checks are you a member of any of the warehouse clubs costco and sam's club all right so they both sell checks and if you go to uh let's say you go to to costco's website it took me just a second to get to their check section and okay you can see all the different options they have available for checks from very fancy checks that they charge a lot of money for to very very plain jane checks that you can get so okay. uh, buying them from the bank though if you if you have big money in the bank the bank will waive the fee for having checks printed but for everybody else you want to buy checks from a third party and even if you paid for delivery by fedex or ups of checks where there was tracking and tracing it would still be a lot cheaper than the check delivery bulk mail from your own bank because they just okay. look at this as as a way to rip people off okay well yeah that's that's how i feel because i paid thirty dollars probably for 30 checks and then the shipping was fifteen dollars crazy crazy which yeah so never again from the bank and by the way if a bank charges that kind of money maybe it's time for you to look for somewhere else to do your banking and a lot of people if you have some decent investment assets you might find you'd be much better off doing your banking with a discount stockbroker, and then they give you checks for free. Much better price. Monique is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Monique. How are Hi. you? Good. Hi, Mr. Howard. Oh, please call me Clark. Oh, hi, hi, Clark. How can I be of service to you? Okay, I live next to uh, an empty lot, and they want to build a 50-unit apartment building. Okay. And my house makes it kind of like an even square. And they approach me because there's an issue with parking. And they approach me that they want to purchase my home. Now, the homes are going here for about 250 So how do I price? I asked him to make an offer, and he told me that I'm supposed to come up with a number. Okay. You were doing it just right because you, wanna, you want them to show their cards. They're hoping that you won't know what your property is worth. 
you have a wild card because if they weren't building that next door, your house would be worth just what the others would be worth. Right around, you said a quarter of a million, is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. But because it's now going to have an enhanced value for this developer next door, and the developer may or may not, and, and you would know this, around that building, if they can't cut a deal with you, is there another property owner, let's say on the other side or behind, that they could just as easily approach and make a deal with one of them, or are you sitting in the catbird seat? No, I'm sitting in the catbird because the property behind me they own. Like I said, it makes it with with mine. It's an even square. So yours is yours is the key ingredient to making it work. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I would tell you that you need a professional property appraiser. Okay. Who does commercial property, not traditional residential. Okay. Because for you to try to pull a number out of the air, when this may be your one opportunity to really get a good deal, okay, you, you don't want to just say, well, hold your finger up and see which way the wind's blowing. Right. You right. want to get good, solid advice. And it will be a professional guesstimate. It will okay. not be like, this is exactly what you should get. Okay. Okay, so how do I go about looking for one, though? What you do is you ask an agent for a referral to a, a residential appraiser uh-huh. and ask the residential appraiser for a referral to a commercial appraiser. Commercial appraiser. Great. And they may use a different term in your area. Okay. But you ask that question and find that person. Now, one thing, unless the area is uh, going heavily that direction with much higher density you may not be able to have too many dollar signs in your eyes. It may be worth more than what the prevailing rate is for a home next door to you on the other side, but okay. it may not be like suddenly it's going to be a huge multiple of that. Right. Okay. So that's why the appraiser is important. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Howard. Oh, Thank you, you called me that again. <laughs> Sorry. Thank now, you. if I'm wrong and you want enough money, if you get enough money from this deal that you're just – going to have more money than you know what to do with. I want to hear back to congratulate you. Okay, I will. I'll definitely call back. Okay, good luck to you. And Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad to have you here, Kevin. How can I be of service to you? So I have a question related to savings for retirement. I currently work at a company that, that offers a 401k with a company match up to 6%. And I've been reaching that amount to receive the company match. And how does and the company prior, match you? A quarter to each dollar you contribute, 50 cents to each dollar you contribute, a dollar? Uh, it's a dollar for every dollar. No, it's not. So you put in 6% and it's effectively 12%. Correct. Wow. You know, that is hyper generous, much more so than most employers. Yeah, I'm reaching that and then... In my previous job, I, I didn't have a 401k available to me. I was a teacher, and so I had the, just the state's retirement system. So I was contributing to a Roth IRA as well. And I've continued doing that since I've started this new company, started working at this new company. And I'm not sure if it makes the most sense to continue saving in both areas, the 401k and the Roth, or maybe to shift everything to the 401k 
I know the tax advantages are, are different, and I'm not sure in my situation or, or really in general if it makes more sense to split between those two uh, mediums of retirement savings. Both in your situation two. and in general, what you're doing is exactly the right thing. And let me tell you why. This is something that I feel more and more strongly about is that by you having money in a pre-tax account, your employer-sponsored 401k, and then having money in a post-tax account, a Roth, in retirement, it magnifies your flexibility. Because depending on what tax laws are going to be at that time, what's going on with Social Security, having the flexibility each year of your retirement to be able to decide, well, you know, I can't take any money from my old 401k because if I take any money from that right now, it'll put me in a higher tax bracket. Or if I take money from that, it might hurt me on this, that, or the other. So this year I'm going to take from the Roth. So having a pre-tax pile and a post-tax pile significantly increases your flexibility in spending your money most efficiently in retirement. And as a general rule, if you get into retirement and you have really done well and you are set well for the rest of your retirement years, then having money in the Roth is money you end up not touching because it's a fantastic asset to inherit if you want to leave money aside behind for a next generation where inheriting money from your 401k is a terrible thing for somebody to inherit from because the tax code is brutal on regular IRAs or 401k money. Oh, excellent, Bob. I really appreciate the advice. And so I wanted to make sure, is your Roth right now with a low-cost provider? Yeah, it is. Good, good, because then you want your money to grow tax-free and, and keep as much of your money as possible. And by being with a low-cost provider... You make that happen. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Our web address, clark.com. When you got a question for me, go clark.com slash ask. And Joel, I think we have time for an Ask Clark right here. Who's it from? All right, Clark. Sarah wrote in. She said, do you have a list of recommended reverse mortgage lenders, and what's your opinion on the benefits and risks? So I don't have a recommended list of reverse mortgage lenders, because I've always looked at reverse mortgages as a last option, not a first. If you don't know the term, what it means is that you take out a loan where the lender pays you every month, eating against the equity in a home that is paid off and develops debt over time in return for generating cash. It's designed for people who are house rich, cash poor, usually north of 65, well, always north of 65, and you just don't have enough to pay for each month. Reverse mortgage should only be considered as the final possible option because the fees up front for reverse mortgage are gigantic. So any legit lender will require that you go through financial counseling first. And the best way to figure out the best one is multiple quotes and don't respond to any of the TV offers that are advertised on TV for reverse mortgages, I can tell you none of those are deals you want to go anywhere near. Our website is Clark.com. And if you have a question for us, go to Clark.com slash ask. But right now, our executive producer, Kim, just released the second season premiere 
of her Empowerment Zone podcast. Congratulations, Kim. Thank you, sir. And as always, this is a truly inspiring story. This time, it's a topic that's something I am particularly passionate about, education and employment for former prisoners. Because if we don't do that when they are returning to society after serving time in the justice system, well, they end up right back behind bars. That's exactly right. So, so much of this story is actually about the recidivism rate. And in our country, it's pretty pathetic. Within the first year, 30% of prisoners go back. And then within three years, it rises up to almost 50%. And so this story is about Edwin's Leadership and Restaurant Institute in Cleveland, Ohio. It's a nonprofit, and they're working really hard to help formerly incarcerated people get a second chance in life. They run a completely free six-month program that teaches people culinary skills and hospitality know-how, and they cater to people who have recently left the justice system or people who maybe haven't been in jail, but their life path isn't going very well and they might end up there. So Jerry Grimm, their chief culinary officer, explains it best. It's about breaking the recidivism cycle. That's what we're doing. I mean, we have clubs in prisons and correctional facilities. They have our curriculum. They have videos to follow along with. And what that does, that gives hope. And, you know, it's a vicious cycle. People get out. No one will hire them. They go back. You know, our recidivism rate is less than 1% Amazing. of Edwin's graduates. It is. It's just, you, give, you know, you give someone a set of skills. You know, you make them feel good about themselves. You give them confidence. That's what we do. That recidivism rate is stunning. This program is so amazingly unique. Well, I want you to know that there are people who do a crime, do the time. But when that's done, we need to make it possible for them to reenter society and if they're motivated to, to become productive citizens again. So I love this, and I love what Edwin's is doing. Check out Kim's latest episode at clark.com slash empowermentzone or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts.